to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3. And as I said earlier, I really believe that God wants to use it to encourage us, to challenge us, to strengthen us in our faith and our walk with God. But I also believe that he wants to touch a number of people that are here today or those that are watching online or maybe even watching or listening to this a year from now because time doesn't mean anything to God. And he'll be the same then as he is now. And I believe he wants to do that. I pray that you would anticipate that. I want to start off by telling you about three different situations. And then I'm going to ask you, you don't have to answer out loud, but I'm going to ask you what these three situations have in common. These three situations are totally different, but there's something, two things in particular I'm going to point out that they have in common. All right? Situations you're probably aware of. There are many nations in our world that have been trying to bring peace to the Middle East for a long time. But nobody has asked me to take care of it. Second situation. Our country's finances have been a mess for a long time. Not much hope they're going to get straightened out anytime soon, no matter what they promise you. But nobody had asked me to do something about it. Third situation. There are millions of people dying of AIDS and starvation in Africa... But no one has asked me to do something about it. Now, what are the common denominators of these three situations? Nobody's asked me to do anything about it. But the second common denominator is why? The reason nobody's asked me to do anything about any of these three situations is I don't have the ability to do anything of major significance about these things. I'm not able to deliver what's needed. So nobody has asked me. So, Pastor, it's kind of a silly illustration. I I understand that. But we all know what it's like to have a great need in our lives, and we don't know what we're going to do. Because, to be honest, there's not really much that we can do about it in and of ourselves. I mean, how many of you have faced situations like that? You face a need, and there is really not much of anything that you could do about it. I mean, you could try little things, but overall, there really wasn't much you could do. But another aspect of frustration, at least I find it to be true, and I'm sure that most all of you do, I hate seeing someone with a really big need and really would like to do something about it, but there's nothing I can do. I remember recently there was someone who came to the church, and my wife and I met with them, and they were sharing this situation of their life. And I never felt more hopeless. I shouldn't say I never felt more hopeless. I just felt so hopeless. Not, 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 no, hopeless is the wrong word. Helpless. Because what they were sharing, I realized there is absolutely nothing that I could do of major significance. And even as the pastor of this church, there was nothing this church could do of major significance. Now, I'm not ruling out the importance of prayer or anything like that, but I'm talking about practically speaking. And we promised to do what we could. We did. We prayed. All that kind of stuff I haven't heard back from. But I'm just saying, there's, there's something about that feeling. There's this need, and you, you really would like to do something about it, but I don't know 
what that might be. Well, the good news that I want us to focus on today, that our God is able to deliver. And that's the title of my message. And the message I believe God wants you to get today, that our God is able to deliver. And we're going to see that in this story in Daniel chapter 3. This is a story that probably most of you, maybe all of you, may be familiar and very familiar with. The whole story is in Daniel 3, verses 1 through 30. We're not going to read the whole story. I'm going to basically kind of summarize and tell it and read some key portions of it. But this story is about three young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've probably heard their names before. Those weren't their original names. Their original names were Hananiah, Azariah, and I just forgot the third one. I didn't know what it was. It'll pop in my head later. And they were young Jewish boys, and they had been taken into captivity, along with another group of people from Israel, and they're in Babylon. God's people had rebelled against him, began to worship other gods, and God, as a good parent, decided to discipline them. And he allowed them to be conquered, and a group of their people taken hundreds of miles away to the Babylon Empire. And these young men were especially bright and uh, had great prospects. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would take his captives, the ones that had the most promise, and he would train them in the culture of Babylon and raise them up to be leaders and servants in the nation. And Daniel was one of those. And these three guys were his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and God had blessed them. And in the midst of it, you read the book of Daniel, and most, again, a lot of you are familiar with some of the stories, that they did their best to adapt to the situation they were in, to excel, to be people of service without compromising their faith. And God enabled them to do that. And they had risen to places of leadership, but because God had so blessed them in their service... And because they'd remained faithful to their God, there were people that were jealous of them and wanted to see their downfall. That really is kind of behind the story of Daniel and the lion's den, which we're not going to get into today. But it's also behind part of the story we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 3. We find in Daniel chapter 3 that Nebuchadnezzar caused this great statue to be built. It was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. It was covered with gold. And for whatever reason, and historians give a number of reasons of things that were happening in history at this time as to why he did this, he called all his leaders together to where this statue is on the plain of Dura. And he's going to require all of his leaders to bow down and worship This statue, whether it represents him, some false god, or just their allegiance to him, he's going to make them do that to show their allegiance to him. And he gets together this big orchestra. And as they all gather together, he says, I want every single one of you, as soon as that orchestra starts playing the special song, I want you all to bow down and worship this image. And so the music begins to play. The great majority of the crowd of rulers and leaders of the empire bow down to worship this image. However, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. 
Daniel's not in this story. I have a feeling that he was probably sent on an errand because he was way high up in the government, was doing something out. He wasn't required to be there because Daniel wasn't about either. It's quite obvious, but he's not mentioned in the story. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow. And I want to pick up the story in verse 16 of chapter 3. I'm sorry, verse 13. I apologize. The people that were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Nebuchadnezzar, you asked, you told, you demanded that we all bow down, but there are some Jews who did not do it. We pick it up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, the the big orchestra... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. In other words, you're going to get a second chance. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And he says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He didn't realize it, but he just issued a challenge that God's going to respond to. But I see in this question also a, a question that Satan will often come to us with. When we're facing difficulty, when we're facing trial, when we're facing a pressure of a world that wants us to compromise our faith. And this story really is about compromising your faith and and that kind of thing, but it also applies to the big needs that we have in our lives. But I see in this question the, the words of the enemy says, where is your God? You're facing this situation. You really think God's going to deliver you? He's whispered that to each of us, I'm sure, many times. The story goes on in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, in other words, if you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace if we don't worship, If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. There's we get our title. Our God is able to deliver. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They've taken a stand. They wouldn't bow down and worship when it was first demanded of them. Now that they've been told on, ratted out, and called before the king, and he says, you're valued. I'm throwing ideas and thoughts in here that seem to be that you're valued, trusted servants. I'm upset, but I'll give you a second chance. And they said, we don't need a second chance. We, we've already made our decision. We already know how we stand. We, we won't do it. We won't do it because our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand. But even if he doesn't, and and they're not expressing doubt that God can do it. They're just saying, even if he doesn't the way we'd like to, I mean, we're going to be delivered out of your hands one way or the other. 
Either he will save us from the furnace or he'll take us to be with him. Either way is deliverance. But even if he doesn't do it the way we'd like to, we're still going to serve him and we still will not bow down. I want to bring some important points out of this that apply not just to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but to each and every one of us. Again, whether we are wrestling with the world's pressure to compromise our faith in the way we live our lives, in the things that we allow into our lives, in our standards, our morals, and in our values, or whether we're just facing a big problem that we don't know what to do about. Because it applies both ways. And the first thing is, God is able. God is able to do what? Fill in the blank. God is able. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, there's a story of this rich young ruler that came to Jesus. He said, what do I need to do to be right with God? And the whole thing. And he says, well, obey the commandments. He says, I've always done that. And, and, and it says that Jesus said, well, why don't you just sell everything you got? Come follow me. You have riches in heaven. And basically, we'll make a great difference for the kingdom of God. And said the rich young ruler went away sad because he had a lot of money. He had a lot of possessions. And the idea being that he wanted to serve God, but he didn't really want to give up what he had of value in his life. And Jesus used that as a teaching time with his disciples to basically say, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. And the idea being that they cling too much to the things of this world. And, and in the disciples' mind, their culture said, if you were rich, that meant God really blessed you, so you must be close to God. So they said, well, if they can't get into heaven, how can anybody get into heaven? And Jesus' response was, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In other words, God's able. God is able. You know, we say that God is all-powerful, but do we really believe it? We see over and over again in Scripture, story after story, we can probably give testimony and point to stories in our world of God manifesting His power and His presence to do things that no one else can do. We see in the Bible that God has power over nature. From the very beginning, he created nature, everything that there is. Great power involved in that. We see him parting the Red Sea and parting the Jordan River later on. We see him bringing food from heaven for his people in the wilderness. We see him bringing water from a rock. Moses says, strike the rock. Boom. Big flood of water comes out, enough to give the couple million Israelites plenty to drink. We see in the New Testament with Jesus, God himself come in the flesh, multiplying the loaves and the fishes, stilling storms, walking on the water. God has power over nature. Not only that, we know that God has power over circumstances. Lots of stories about that, but the one that really jumps out to me in Acts chapter 12, it talks about how Peter had been thrown in jail and the king wanted to put him to death. And the night before he's to be put to death, God's people are praying and seeking God for Peter. And God sends an angel. And Peter's asleep. That's a whole story in and of itself. He's going to be put to death and he's sleeping in peace. He's trusting in God. Doesn't know what's going to happen, but God's in control. And the angel wakes him up. Peter thinks he's having a dream. Angel leads him right out past the guards. The guards don't even notice. Opens doors, open gates. The angel disappears and Peter realizes, hey, I'm not having a dream. I'm awake. 
I've been delivered. And he goes to the house where the church is, pay, is praying. He knocks on the door. Servant girl comes to the door. He says, it's me. It's Peter. She's so excited. She forgets to unlock the door. Goes back to tell people that they're praying. And in great faith, they say, it can't be Peter. It must be his ghost. Anyway, God has power over circumstances. God has power over hearts. People's hearts. God can change people's hearts. Now, God has given us a free will. And we make our own decisions. But God can be very persuasive. I think of positive and negative examples. I think of a shy Moses that God worked within his heart to make him a strong speaker and a leader. I think of how Pharaoh's heart had been so hardened, but yet God softened it through the circumstances, but softened it so that his people could be set free. I think of the great prophet Elijah who had such great boldness for God, but in the moment of weakness and frustration and tiredness became discouraged and depressed. But God encouraged him and kept him from quitting. I think of the fanatical Saul who was a persecutor of God's people that God touched his heart and changed his heart until he became a great proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see so many times in God's word that God has power over bodies to bring healing and strength. So many miraculous healings all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament. I just feel like I need to give a little side thing here that sometimes people say, well, why doesn't God heal like he did back then? God still can heal today like he did back then. But we see these stories in the Bible one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And we get this idea that God was just constantly healing people all the time, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. But the only time God just healed multitudes of people after one, after the other, after the other, after the other is in Jesus's ministry and in the early church. That doesn't mean that he can't do it now. I'm just saying that we have everything all squeezed down together. God is still doing miraculous healings all over the world today. He still can and he still will if that's part of his plan for us. Okay. But really, we could just sum it up by saying God has power over everything. God has power over everything. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3, verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And he starts says, our God can do anything and he can do things that we've never even thought of yet. That's how much power he has. You know, he's done these things before. We see the examples in Scripture. We hear the testimonies throughout church history. We hear the testimonies of our own times. But sometimes we doubt whether he can or if we don't even want to go that far because that does sounds like we're believing falsehood, but we doubt whether he will do it today. Just a couple of quick promises from God's Word in Malachi 3, 6, there's the promise when God says, I, the Lord, do not change. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. God is able. 
But I want to follow that up with a question. God is able. Will we ask him? Now, I'll be very quick to admit, we ask him all the time. But I think sometimes we don't. Because we doubt, because we wonder, we, we think, you know, I know God can do it, but I don't, I don't know that he really wants to. I don't really know that he can. But you know that James tells us that one of the reasons we don't receive what God has for us is because sometimes we don't ask. Not all the time, but sometimes. In James 4, 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. As we look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we hear their words of declaration that we already know the stand we're going to take. We've already taken it. We don't need a second chance. We don't need to think about it anymore. We don't need to talk about it anymore. We're just not going to do it. And we don't have any record that they prayed about it, but I can guarantee you, from my opinion, they prayed about it. Because prayer is such an important key factor just in general, in our relationship with God, but in the story of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego, when you read the rest of the stories in the book. I guarantee you that when they got the invitation to come to this event, and they had to come, they were leaders, and they found out what it was all about. I guarantee you they called out to God. In verse 16, we read it. He says, we have no need to answer you in this Matter. I believe it's because they'd already prayed about it and committed it to the Lord. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For to everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus said that if we come to God... He will answer. He will answer. But knowing that God is able, knowing all these truths, what keeps us from asking? Or maybe we have asked, but we've stopped. What keeps us from persevering? What keeps us from pressing in? What keeps us from believing? I think it's because we have this question in the back of our mind, God is able, but is he willing? God can do it, but will he? And that's what causes us, I think, the confusion. That's what causes the confusion. Will he do it? And that leads me to the second major point I want to make today. Not only is God is able, but God is willing. God is willing. Why would we think that God is not willing? And I think that the answer for most of us would be unanswered prayer. What do we mean by unanswered prayer? We mean situations like this that we face, difficulties, pressure from our world, and we've prayed about it and we didn't see God do what we wanted him to do. But to be honest with you, and I know that many of you realize this, we've talked about it before, that just shows that we have the wrong idea of prayer and God answering prayer and what unanswered prayer is because there are no unanswered prayers. It's just that God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we like him to. You see, we'd love him to say, yes, I'll do exactly what you want me to do and I'll do it right now. 
But that's only one possible answer. Sometimes God's answer is, yes, I want to do that, but I'm at work doing something either in you or through you or through your situation that hasn't come to a conclusion yet, so you're going to be dealing with it for a little while until that's been accomplished, and then I'm going to answer it the way you'd like. Sometimes his answer is, yes, I would really like to do that, but you're not doing your part. There's something you're supposed to do, and you've been ignoring me when I've been speaking to you about it. So I'm going to keep on waiting until you do your part. But sometimes God just says, no, I'm not going to do it. And later on, there are times that he reveals his reason, and sometimes he doesn't reveal his reason. And that's where we just have to trust him that as a all-knowing, all-powerful God, he knows what is best for us, our circumstances, and the people around us, that if he says no, he has a good reason. I mean, we can relate to this, you know, when our children or grandchildren are growing up, if we've had them, or maybe even back to when you were a child and you asked your parent for something and you said, they said no. You couldn't understand why they said no, but now as an adult, it's like, okay, I understand why my parent wouldn't let me drive the car when I was eight. Okay, I get that now. But then we didn't understand it. So when we talk about we're not really sure if God's willing, it usually comes down to the fact that, well, we've asked him before and he hasn't answered the way we want, if we're going to be honest. But can I tell you that God is always willing to answer? God always does answer. God is always willing to get involved in our circumstances, but you have to understand that God's plan and purpose for our circumstances might be different than what we want to see happen. But when that's true, God's plans and purposes are better than what we have planned. I've said that so many times, just in the area of living life and seeking God and making decisions. God's plan for us is much better than our plan for us. You know, I shared the story of Acts chapter 12 when Peter was in prison. God's people prayed. God delivered him. The funny result of that. But that story starts in Acts chapter 12 and with the fact, in Acts chapter 12 with the fact that before Peter was arrested, James was arrested. You know, the three closest disciples to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, that James had been arrested and Herod had put him to death. Talks about that in the first verse or two of chapter 12. And then, then it tells the story that Herod found out that a lot of people liked that, so he arrested Peter and decided to put him to death too, and then God delivered Peter. Why did God deliver Peter and not James? Was it because the church didn't pray for James? Maybe they didn't like him as much as Peter? Or maybe they feel like they didn't need to pray, and then when Herod put James to death and arrested Peter, it's like, we better start praying. The Bible doesn't say, but I have a feeling that the church was praying for James too when he was arrested. Why did God deliver Peter and not James? Did God like Peter better? To be honest with you, in reality, it may have been he liked James better. He says, James, I'm going to call you on home. I'm going to let Peter suffer a little bit more. You know, he's going to do some good things. But No, what it really comes down to is that God has different plans and purposes for each of our lives. And in God's plan and purpose, it was time for James to come home. But Peter had more work to do. So he's going to deliver him. What about the story of when Jesus is facing his death and he's praying, God, take this away from me. 
If there's any way our plans and purposes can be accomplished without me going through this suffering that I'm facing, I don't want to do it. Take it away. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. You see, by our definition of answered prayer, if we want to define it as God does what I ask him to do, God didn't answer Jesus's prayer either. I love the fact that whatever God asks us to go through for him, he didn't exempt Jesus from that. Jesus has experienced everything as far as the basics that we experience. The Bible even says that. Jesus even experienced saying, God, I don't want this. Would you do this? And God said, nope, got to go a different direction. But Jesus had the right attitude. He says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And we can think about many times that we have come before God, maybe even asked and seeked and knocked and kept on doing it, and we still didn't get what we were hoping to get. And we see it in this story, in the attitude. I mean, uh, spoiler, in case you didn't know, God's going to deliver them out of the furnace. How many of you didn't know that? Yeah, I know. You guys have heard the story. Yeah. But what if he hadn't? There would have been a reason, but... Again, going back to what we already read, Daniel 3, 17 to 18, their response, if this be so, if, if we are going to be tossed in this fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, again, this is not doubt that God is able. And it's not even doubt that God is willing to be involved in this circumstance. It's just that we don't know what God has planned. God can do whatever he wants. God can deliver us out of the furnace. Whatever happened, he's going to deliver us out of your hand. You don't have ultimate control over us, Nebuchadnezzar. But even if he doesn't deliver us out of the furnace, we're still going to do what's right. We're still going to stand in our faith. We're still going to do what God wants us to do. We're not going to worship that golden image that you have set up. And so the big question is, what... Is God willing to do? I've already told you, God's always willing to answer our prayers. But sometimes this answer is different than the one we want. But we have the promises of God's word that whatever God does, he always does for our good. The passage that I read in Matthew chapter 7, that where Jesus was teaching about asking and seeking and knocking, and each of those means to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep knocking. If you ask, you receive, you know, knock, it'll be opened, you know, seek and you'll find. Continuing on that, Jesus gives an illustration. He says, which of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts or good things to those who ask him? He's as you're asking, seeking, knocking, whatever response you get from God, realize he's wanting what is best for you. We don't understand that sometimes because we think we know what's best for us even more than God does. So God's willing to answer our prayers. God's willing to get involved in our circumstances, but are we willing to let him answer them in the way that he knows is best for us and everybody that's involved? So that leads to another question that leads out of this point. God is willing. Will we trust him? And that's what we see here in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They know that God is willing to get involved. They know that God is able 
and they're going to put their trust in him, whatever he decides to do. If he delivers them out of the furnace, if he doesn't, they're still in God's hands, not Nebuchadnezzar's. Again, Daniel 3.18, he says, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Sometimes people seek God for certain things, and when God doesn't answer it the way they'd like to, they walk away from God. And that's so sad. Maybe you've experienced that in your life at some point, and hopefully you've come back from that. Maybe we all have, to some degree, pulled away from God when he didn't do things the way we wanted him to. But we see here this determination. You know, I can think of many times in my life when I prayed something and it wasn't answered the way that I asked. In fact, there were times that I prayed something and things got worse. See examples of that in Scripture too. But I've served the Lord long enough, as many of you have, that I can look back on some of those situations anyway and say, God, thank you that you didn't answer that prayer the way I wanted you to. And I have full faith to believe that when I get to heaven, I'll see every one of them, or if I'm allowed to see every single one of them in the results, that I'll say, God, thank you that you didn't answer any of the prayers that I asked a certain way and you decided to do it a different way. Because I see now. I see now. And because I have this growing confidence that God, as my loving Heavenly Father, wants what's best for me and has a better plan for me than I have for myself, I keep coming to Him. So the rest of the story, which many of you know, we find that Nebuchadnezzar gets even angrier. He says that the furnace should be heated up seven times hotter, which was a way of saying as hot as you can get it. And he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all tied up. And he has some soldiers throw them in the furnace. The furnace is so hot, the shoulders, the soldiers that throw them in are burnt to a crisp. And it isn't very long that Nebuchadnezzar is looking and he says, wait a minute. Talks to his other, didn't we throw three guys in there bound? So yeah. He says, there's four guys in there and they're not bound. They're walking around. It's not in the text, but I think they were having a party. He says, the fourth one looks like the son of a god. It's the presence of God. An angel of God, or perhaps many would speculate that maybe it was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus himself. But in any case, God came down in the presence of an angel, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, whatever it was, and was with those three guys in the furnace. And he hauls them out, and because of that, it just totally changes Nebuchadnezzar's attitude. And I just, I can't help but wonder, just a little side here, if Nebuchadnezzar's going to be in heaven. Because, I mean, God, God tried to reach Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, between Several situations with Daniel interpreting a dream and several things that happened. This thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Nebuchadnezzar went mad one time because he was full of pride and God humbled him. And he said, God's the real God. But was it really a hard thing? Will we see him in heaven? Well, we'll find out when we get there. But we go down to verse 28 of that story, Daniel 3, 28. It says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies 
rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. I I could do a whole three-point sermon on that, just those three things. It says they trusted in him. They trusted him so much that they chose to ignore the king's command that was meant to pressure them to do his will rather than God's. Even to be willing to yield up their bodies. Even being willing to give up their lives. It reminds me sort of a little bit about what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that denying yourself is not just denying yourself, but denying anybody else who puts any kind of claim on yourself that's opposite to God's claim on you. When you feel like you want to give in, you want to compromise, you want to go along with the crowd, you want to go along with the trends, you want to go along with the culture, but it's against what God says, I'm going to deny that part of myself that wants safety and acceptance in the midst of peer pressure and society pressure, and I'm going to say no. I'm going to take up my cross, whatever it costs, even if it means my life, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Here's a thought that we've mentioned so many times, real trust, real faith manifests itself in our actions. Real trust in God manifests itself in our actions. It's not just something we talk about. Now, you may be like me and say, boy, I'd love to have that much faith. I'd like to believe if I was in that kind of a situation that I'd have enough faith. And I just have this belief in my heart That if your heart really is right with God and you have a desire to please him, he will make sure that you can stand strong with whatever you face when you get there. But I'm also reminded of the story in Mark chapter 9 when a man brought his son to be healed by Jesus and Jesus was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John for the transfiguration and the disciples tried to heal him and it wasn't successful. So Jesus came down and the man said, these guys couldn't do it and all that kind of stuff and And the man had come full of faith, but now he's not so sure. And so he comes to Jesus in Mark 9, 22 to 24. says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I like to joke and say, Jesus said, okay, Well, as soon as your faith gets stronger, come back. I'll heal him. But that isn't what he did. He responded to the faith the man did have, not the faith he didn't think he had. And Jesus healed his son. And I think that God and Jesus respond to any sincere cry, Lord, I I believe in you, but I just, I feel so weak in this area. I want to believe. I want to trust. I believe he responds to that. And we see in this story that God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his friends. But what if he hadn't? What if he hadn't? They were prepared for that. The question is, are we prepared for if God doesn't answer our prayers the way we'd like him to? Will we still trust in him? Will we still follow him? Will we still love him? Will we still thank him? Will we still praise him? This sermon can be preached to get us all excited about God's going to work in your life. And can I tell you that that's true? I want this sermon to encourage you to know that God is at work in your life. But it can be 
I won't go so far as to say twisted, but emphasized only on the positive side so much that, that, that you almost get the feeling like because God did it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he has to do it for you the exact same way. But we see that even though Scripture is full of stories, God manifesting and, and extending his power to deliver and heal and all that kind of stuff in ways that people wanted him to, there are also stories that we don't focus near as much on of when he did not do that. Not that he wasn't involved, but he said, that's not my plan. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the great faith chapter. And it talks about all, not all, but a lot of the men and even women of God and the stories of the Old Testament who had faith in God and what God did because of their faith. It goes all the way back to Abel. It talks about Enoch and Noah. And Moses, Joshua, and even Rahab, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, the, the great patriarchs of the faith. And, and the writer of Hebrews, let me, let me turn there, I want to read a couple of verses to you. The writer of Hebrews says, but I wish I could just tell you about so many stories. Let me, let me read that part. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. That's a reference to Daniel. Quenched the power of fire. Some say, well, he's referring to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And we'd love to stop right there. But he's still talking about people of faith. And he goes on to say, he says, some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, all of them were commended for their faith, not just the ones that got the victory that we wanted and expected. All of them were commended for their faith. Did not receive what was promised. Talking about that immediate deliverance. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And I'm not going to dig deeply into that last part, but basically God had something better for them, and that also affects us and our eternity. You know, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego delivered from the fiery furnace, but yet you look at church history and you see others that were burned for their faith, including some of the original disciples and the apostles. Even in recent history in other nations of the world, every once in a while you see something pop up on the news. It doesn't pop up often because a lot of people don't care, but believers in other places burned by a crowd or a mob because they're Christians. I remember hearing a story Pastor Jim Simbola told a pastor of Brooklyn Tab. He wrote a book and was giving a testimony about the prayer meeting they had and they had heard about a situation over in either Pakistan, I think it was Pakistan. Don't even remember how they heard about it. But that this mob had gathered around a house 
and the people in the house were Christians. They were up on the roof. They're getting ready to set it on fire, and he immediately called the people to pray. And I don't know the whole story, but basically God sent this great big rain shower, and everybody went home. He delivered them, but then there's other times people have been put to death. But I want to ask you a question. Which takes greater faith? To trust God when he answers our prayers the way we want him to? Or to trust him even when he doesn't? Which takes more faith? To trust God when we believe with all our heart he's going to do what we ask him to do? Or to not be sure exactly what he is going to do? I don't usually do this, and I didn't ask permission, but I think it'll be okay. But there are two men in this room that I want to commend this morning. And there are many others I could. But I think of Reginald, and I think of Bruce. We prayed for him this morning. They're both fighting a cancer battle. Reginald's been fighting it for quite a while. And I've had a number of conversations with him. And he says, you know what? Some days I do good. Some days I don't do so good. But I'm trusting in God. And whatever he decides to do is fine with me. And I think of Bruce, who went through a cancer battle a number of years ago. And God totally delivered him. But this last week, he found out his cancer's come back. The meeting with the doctor's. As far as I know, not a total decision about what procedure is going to be followed, what treatment options, but we've had a conversation. And basically saying pretty much the same thing. God's in control. He can deliver me again, but whatever he does, it's okay with me. I know of other situations of people that are in this room battling battles, maybe not cancer, but something else, and sometimes battling battles for years, saying, God, what are you doing? I don't understand these circumstances but saying, but God, I'm still going to trust you. That takes more faith than to somehow try to work up some kind of feeling that God has to heal me, God's going to heal me, God's going to do this. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to discourage you from believing God for healing. God is a healer. But whatever he chooses to do, he wants what's best for us. And he's got a plan, he's got a purpose. As we wrap this up, I want to remind you that no matter what God does, there will always be a fourth man in the fire. And whatever God does in your life, whether it's what you want him to do or he chooses to do something else, he will always be the fourth man in your fire. Amen. Let's praise him for that. I just stuck this in my notes this morning so it didn't make it to the screen. But I was reminded this morning of promises that I've known, but Isaiah 43, 2, when he says, if you want to write that down, Isaiah 43, 2, that God says, I'll be with you through the flood. I'll be with you through the fire. I think of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where God promises that he will not allow us to face more than you can handle with his help. Sometimes that's quoted without putting the whole thing that God won't let you face anything more than you can handle. He'll let you face a lot of things more than you can handle by yourself. But he will never let you 
face more than you can handle with his help. And he's there to help. So as we wrap this up, the main point is God is able. Will we ask him? And will we keep asking? Will we keep coming back even when it doesn't work out the way we want? God is willing. Will we trust him? Let me just give you a couple real quick thoughts. And then we're going to go to a time of prayer. Commit yourself and your circumstances to God. Commit yourself and your circumstances to God. And yourself. Don't skip over that. Don't just say commit your circumstances. Commit yourself. I want you to note what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in verse 13. It says, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Why were they able to have so much confidence? They weren't perfect. The men I commended are not perfect. None of us are perfect. But they were doing everything they could to serve God. Can I tell you, just as an aside here, sometimes that's why God doesn't answer our our prayers as quickly as one, because he's trying to bring us to that place where we really trust him and we're willing to serve him and we surrender everything to him, you know? Well, it's like, yeah, but I'm 80% there. And none of us are perfect. But yet you've got that one area of your life God's been dealing with. You know that's not pleasing in God's sight. And God says, I'm going to let things linger for a little while. And maybe that'll just get you to that point where you're willing to surrender that thing to him. And you're willing to deal with it. Maybe something got to get out of your life. Maybe something got to get into your life. I don't know. But commit yourself and your circumstances to God. Yourself first. Don't just try to use God as a quick fix for your problems. Ask him for what you need. But when you ask, leave your requests in his hands, trusting him to do what is best. And then just obey whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Let's all stand together. I want to close our service today as we often do by praying for needs. But most of the time it's just open for anything and everything and our prayer team's here and all that kind of stuff and we'll pray with you and that still certainly is true and if you don't have a relationship with God we'd love to pray with you about that that's not been the focus today but I just felt led that God wants to touch people's lives today I mean he does every time we gather together but after this word of encouragement and challenge to say to you if you are here today and you need God's touch in your life you need God to intervene in your life in some way to just respond and ask him he's not giving me permission to make you promises to say that if you do it today you'll get exactly what you're asking for I can't promise you that but I can promise that God wants to touch you so I'm just going to ask if you need God's touch today would you come down here say do I have to no but as a step of faith would you come down here and then maybe some of you say you know what pastor you ask for prayer sometimes a lot of times I don't go down because I've prayed so many times and to be honest with you I've kind of just given up on it and today maybe God's saying don't give up don't give up don't give up if you need a touch would you come if you need a touch, would you come? You you want to ask God. You want God to intervene. You're ready to say, God, I trust you. And Lord, I'm asking for healing. Lord, I'm asking for deliverance. I'm asking for provision. I'm asking for this. I'm, but Lord, I'm going to trust you that whatever you do, I'm still going to praise you. I'm going to trust you that whatever you do, <laughs> I'm going to thank you. And I'm still going to serve you. And I just want to encourage you to begin to just cry out to God yourself for that. 
as our worship team leads us in a song. And I'm going to ask our elders and prayer team to just begin to go around and begin to pray for people. But don't wait for somebody to come pray with you. You pray that, okay? And prayer team, elders, if you feel that you're supposed to go pray with someone out there, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for a little bit, and then we're going to close in prayer. When did I start to forget? Father, we love you today. And God, we thank you for the great stories of your word, of your power extended to work on behalf of your people. And Lord, we love those where you bring about the deliverance and the provision and everything that the people are longing for, and you just do it, Lord God. And we pray for that in our lives. But God, we pray that we would not only follow their example, but we would follow the example of those who cry out to you and you choose to do something else. And they still trust you. God, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would go out full of faith. That you love us. That you're able to do anything. That you're willing. And not just willing, you are actively involved in our lives, even when we don't see it. But to go out with a confidence and a strength, knowing that whatever we face this week, if we trust in you, you'll help us with it. Continue to bring about deliverance, Lord God. Touch those who perhaps are not here, but they're watching online. Or maybe even watching, listening to this later, Lord God. Extend your power right now in their lives. And Father, strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith, Lord. I thank you that you honor the faith we have, but you do challenge us to grow in faith. So help us to do that. And God, guide us and lead us. Father, we thank you and we praise you for all these things, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, Go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.